Engaging Leader Episode 38, How Gamification Can Revolutionize Your Business, with Kevin Werbach. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. Gamification is the use of game design techniques to engage people. For example, products like Fitbit and Nike Plus have turned physical fitness into a social video game. Over the last couple of years, it has become one of today's hottest trends in business at companies of all sizes in pretty much all industries. But what is gamification, really? And is it a strategy you should be using to better engage your employees or your customers? To help us consider those questions, our guest today is Kevin Werbach. Kevin is co-author of For the Win, How Game Thinking Can Revolutionize Your Business. He is a professor at Wharton, one of the world's top business schools, and he created the world's first MBA course on gamification. Kevin is the founder of the Supernova Group, a technology analysis and consulting firm. He is considered a leading expert on emerging trends in communications and technology. Kevin, welcome to Engaging Leader. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Kevin, what's your personal history about how you became, came to be involved in gamification? I'm a professor at Wharton, the, the business school at the University of Pennsylvania, um, but I've always been interested in and focused on how technology, especially internet-connected technology, change the nature of business and change the nature of life. And so I've done a lot of academic work on internet policy and telecommunications, but I've always followed along interesting trends that, that you can see developing that are going to be bigger than people realize. And one of those trends that I noticed a few years ago was the rise of video games. People dismiss video games still as this kind of silly little pastime. But most people don't realize that, that video games are a $70 billion global industry, that there are literally billions of people playing games regularly. And sophisticated games are, are at least as deep and sophisticated as uh, a movie. So I got excited about games, um, but there was really no connection between video games and the work that I did as a business school professor. And then a few years ago, along came this thing called gamification, which was precisely the intersection of everything that excited me about games and the things that I knew about or could put together around what motivates people and, and how technology affects the conduct of business. So how would you define gamification? My definition of gamification is that it's the use of game elements and game design techniques in non-game contexts. So basically what that means is uh, learning from games. It doesn't mean turning everything into a game. It means staying in the real world, whether that's people working in a business or customers or potential customers or, or just people interested in doing something like getting healthy. Um, they're engaged in whatever task they were engaged in. But gamification applies a variety of techniques to make that experience feel more game-like, to make it feel more fun and engaging in some way, using some of the same mechanisms that a good game designer would use to try to make a game successful. Now, that isn't just 
let's say, a, a marketing trick to get people to do things they don't really want to do, is it? No, that's absolutely the wrong way to think about it. And and you see out there some people promoting gamification as this great way to basically fool people. Um, and I think that's a bad idea. It, it uh, has various kinds of ethical concerns. And, and frankly, it doesn't work. Because at a shallow level, temporarily, you might be able to push people to do something. Um, but ultimately, uh, they, they realize that, that they're not engaged in a task that, that is in any way intrinsically valuable to them. So it's, it's really important. And a lot of what I talk about when I teach about gamification or write about it or, or I have a whole chapter in my, in my book for the win called Epic Fails – um, it's really important to focus on using these techniques to achieve uh, legitimate business goals, but ultimately to think about the interest of the player. Uh, one of the things that we learn from thinking like a game designer is that the people you're dealing with are your players. They are uh, people autonomously choosing to be involved in this activity because they want to. Um, and once you start thinking about them as um, the object of what you're doing as someone you're going to trick or mislead, then you're really not being a very good game designer. So thinking about what is intrinsically valuable to them, and then you're basically essentially just making it more engaging or more fun for them. There, there's a, a huge body of research in uh, psychology talking about motivation. And um, there's, there's various different techniques that, that can be used um, through what's called behaviorism um, to encourage certain kinds of behaviors and, and successfully in some cases to get people to behave a certain way um, just based on um, – uh, external ways that, that people interact with things. So if you give someone feedback, people respond to the feedback. Um, if you give someone rewards, they respond to the rewards. Uh, but ultimately, um, what really motivates people is, is, as you said, if it's intrinsically rewarding. In other words, if people feel that the goal is something they want for its own sake, that doesn't necessarily mean it's valuable in any kind of financial sense. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's something that they uh, just love, love, love doing. Uh, it means somehow that that task connects up with some internal set of goals, whether that's finding meaning, whether that's um, success in um, your career or your life as you've defined it. Somehow, this is something ultimately that that aligns with your your own personal sense of what you're trying to achieve. What's great about games is that they create a narrative. They create a sense of purpose around activities. Um, and so gamification, I think, if done well, um, is a way of, of taking a, a set of goals that the designer has, which are typically a business goal, and finding ways to align them in the minds of participants with their own goals. Now, just to make that real for any listeners who aren't familiar, can you give us an example of gamification at work? Yeah, it turns out that there are there are lots of different examples. Here's here, one that we give um, in the book is um, uh, an example at Microsoft uh, where they have a, a testing group that's responsible for testing their software. And, and the challenge of Microsoft, of course, is they've got things like Windows and Office that have hundreds of millions, if not billions of users all around the world. So how do you test something that's going to be used at this scale? And one of the big challenges they have is localization. They need to test to make sure that, that all of the dialogue boxes, for example, are right in dozens of different languages. So the idea they came up with was um, instead of just relying on hiring outside localization firms, which frankly they couldn't do across all the geographies, there just aren't localization firms in, in all of these countries. 
countries that are able to take on a task like uh, Windows or Office. What they did was they created a, a gamified um, uh, environment for their own employees. So they they challenged their field offices around the world um, to get together and go into, uh, this case was uh, Windows 7, in their local language, the pre-release version, and review the dialog boxes and try and find errors. Um, and they made this a contest. They made it a competition among the different offices. Um, and you might think, well, why would someone voluntarily spend their time reading through dialog boxes? They got 500,000 dialog boxes read voluntarily by their employees. Uh, and they found literally thousands of errors in Windows just by using that, that gamified system. So these are Microsoft's employees who are doing a piece of work for Microsoft, but it's outside of their normal job, and they're doing it voluntarily, and they're not doing it for any compensation or reward. Not doing it for any tangible reward. So what, what uh, Ross Smith, who's the, the, the guy at Microsoft who runs this project, who's done a lot of great um, applications of, of gamification in the workplace, he talks about this as um, researchers call it organizational citizenship behavior. So the idea is there's some core job functions you have. You're a project manager. You're a graphic designer. You're a salesperson. There, 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 there's tasks you have. But then you're, you're part of a, an overall work environment. There, there are things that you do to promote and help along the, the overall enterprise that you're part of, if it's a well-functioning uh, work environment. And uh, gamification uh, can be used in the core uh, work elements. I mean, you think about uh, sales uh, contests, uh, widely used across sales forces where people get bonuses and other kinds of tangible rewards. Those are a form of gamification around the core work. Um, but what Microsoft is doing in, in this example is expanding the sphere, um, leveraging people's innate desire to be part of something bigger than themselves, to, to be part of a, a community at work. They, they realize that, that they're getting paid and they're serving Microsoft's business interests, but people want to be part of a team. They want to, they want to feel like they are contributing in various ways to the overall endeavor that they're part of at work. Um, and so this example at Microsoft, this was called the language quality game, um, was a, a very thoughtful way to leverage that innate desire people have and to make them feel good about making the products that their company puts out better. Now, you mentioned an example there with Microsoft, which is obviously a software technology company. Does gamification, and you also mentioned video games earlier, does gamification always require technology? Not at all. So uh, it turns out that when we go back and look at examples of games and game-like things at work, they go back uh, for uh, literally <laughs> centuries. Um, I co-wrote a, a book chapter with a colleague at Wharton looking at gamification in the enterprise. Um, and as far back as people have been researching work, they found use of games at work um, to motivate people. There, there's even an example um, in the, the famous book, How to Win Friends and, Mot and um, Influence People uh, by Dale Carnegie back in the, I think the book came out in the 30s, um, that's talking about how um, Charles Schwab, who was the, the manager of, of Bethlehem Steel, um, would motivate workers by um, writing on the ground at the steel mill the output of a particular shift. He would, he would just write the number and then leave. 
And when the next shift came in, they would see that and they would realize it's a challenge that that the head of the company is saying, can you do better than this? Um, and just through that kind of feedback was able to increase production at the mills. So a lot of these techniques don't require technology. Uh, technology, on the other hand, is, is a great accelerator. So being able to um, manage these programs across large distributed workforces and having the, the analytics to be able to track and advance them is something technology lets us do. Um, gamification is, is very dependent on feedback, both to the players as well as to the people designing the system. So technology online platforms give gamification designers the opportunity to see exactly what the performance is uh, like in the system and then to improve it. Um, but you don't need that in order to apply some of these techniques. Now, you mentioned feedback as one of the things that's very important in gamification. Why is that the main reason or why is gamification so powerful as an engagement strategy? It's so powerful because it leverages deep aspects of our psychology. Every civilization that archaeologists have found had games um, because there, there's something about the challenge, uh, the, the combination of competition and cooperation, uh, solving problems, puzzles. Our brains love that. Um, even without tangible rewards. Um, and then uh, games can also plug into to tangible rewards. Um, so gamification is about leveraging those um, psychological motivations, um, but doing them in a, in a very kind of directed way. Um, and so again, it, it ties into lots of things that have been around for a while. Um, but uh, now that we have this uh, several decades of experience with video game design um, and these online platforms that, that can extend them more broadly, um, I think we're, we're seeing ability to really optimize around gamification. So, for example, a, a frequent flyer program, a loyalty program, um, is something like gamification. It's got points that you earn. It's got levels. It's got uh, sometimes badges, these representations of your level and so forth. Um, but hardly anyone that you would talk to would tell you that their frequent flyer program is fun. <laughs> right. um, those are just not really well-designed gamified systems. Now what we can do, learning from game designers, is consciously think about how to make these things feel fun and engaging um, and tie them back to people's interests. Um, so I think it, it's partly the, the, the combination of understanding the creative aspects of games and, again, having these systems that can be you know, very structured and analytic about the performance that has allowed us to make gamification that much more effective. So that's an interesting combination of some of the fun aspects of video games, let's say, with the data that you, and metrics that you can gather from it, both to be useful for the business, but also to provide as, as feedback and as uh, progress reporting for the player. Absolutely. Um, I think of gamification as a fusion of art and science. Um, which is like a lot of things in in the world today. Uh, you think about Hollywood movies today; they're they're all about creativity and storytelling, but they're also um, about typically very sophisticated technology um, on the back end. Um, and I think that's true of a lot of things at work. That you can't. Uh, going back to our earlier conversation, you can't think it's just about the technology. These are automatons. You have to realize these are people. 
um, and people's interests matter and you need to um, be true to, to people's uh, desires and, and their sense of meaning. But you can use the technology to, to optimize on that. You can use the technology to um, serve people's goals more efficiently. Um, so that, that to me is, is really the potential of gamification. Um, but it, it requires um, thoughtful application. So um, I've looked at, for example, different applications of gamification in call centers, a perfect application where there's large numbers of people um, who could do their jobs more efficiently if they were more motivated. Um, but if you don't think about gamification at a high level and focus on the interest of, of the players and focus on fun and enjoyment and meaning, you'll probably design a system um, that actually makes people's experience worse because people are going to feel like they're always being tracked and measured and they're being forced to compete and it's this kind of zero-sum environment. Um, and people will, for example, just focus on getting customers off the call quicker um, because then they'll get more points, which will create a worse customer experience and will actually make the system worse. Um, so you need to think about it in those um, more substantive terms um, and design, again, design the system in a way that is rewarding to people so it actually benefits the, the call center agents involved. Um, and if you do that, then um, there's a potential to use this in a way that's that's productive, both for the workers and also for the goals of the business. And again, in the same uh, work context, I've seen examples that, that are uh, terrible failures and also great successes. Well, speaking of great success, you mentioned the story in your book uh, of a customer service call center with LiveOps and how they did it well. And I, I was surprised. I figured that if they were going to implement gamification, they would do exactly what you said. They would uh, keep score on who gets customers off the phone better or maybe who has the better sales. And yet what they did is they designed that system instead where the emphasis was on, I think you said, on learning and development and people loved it and were very engaged, and it ended up improving those other metrics anyway. Yeah, LiveOps is an interesting example because they're a, they're a virtual call center operator. So they pull together people, including you know, stay-at-home mothers, people who are out of work, um, and let them be call center agents from home. So they actually have um, a strong interest in promoting this not just as a way to earn a few bucks, but as a way for people who don't have access to uh, traditional structured employment to, to get work and also to, to develop themselves um, and develop skills and, and move themselves along in their career. So, so they wisely saw gamification um, as a way to differentiate themselves um, because they know that um, they're, they're not going to have the same kind of scale advantages as a call center that's got 100 or 1,000 reps in one big room, especially if it's in a low-wage country. So they need to compete on quality. They, they're able to do it affordably, again, because they allow people to work um, at home and they use a lot of technology to do that. That. Um, but they realized that, that gamification was, was actually um, not just a way to improve performance and efficiency, but also a way to improve quality and improve worker morale. Now, what circumstances can gamification be more effective than other engagement strategies? Why would you want to use gamification in place of something else or maybe alongside another strategy? Typically, you use it alongside other things. So, so again, gamification is not... 
um, something that is mutually exclusive with any of the other engagement techniques. And, and often it's um, a way to make other engagement techniques more successful. Um, but in the book, um, we talk about a four-step process for, for thinking about whether gamification is right for you. Um, and, and the first step, which is the most central, is um, ask whether motivation makes a difference. So there are um, lots of situations in the workplace, as well as in, in um, customer-facing applications, where it would be nice if people were more, more motivated, it would be nice if people cared more and felt more of a sense that they wanted to do more of this, but it doesn't actually move the needle on any kind of important business metric. And then there are situations where that's the differentiator, where it's, it's, it's really, the game is all about are people excited to do this? Will they do it on their own and, and feel motivated? Those are the kinds of situations where gamification works really well. But it fits in with, with all the existing techniques. And again, going back to what I said before, there are plenty of technology-based gamification platforms. But there also is a lot that you can do with gamification that, that is, again, just a, a design approach. So, for example, in the online course, the massive online course I teach about gamification, I didn't use any of the kind of standard gamification elements like badges and points. Uh, but I did a tremendous amount behind the scenes of thinking about the course like a game, thinking about the structure of the assignments um, as a game. Uh, game designers talk about the player journey, which has a certain kind of path that you go through in terms of rising and falling difficulty and so forth, um, and thought a lot about the structure of it uh, to relate to different kinds of players. There's a lot of things that you can do like that um, in a workplace context that are uh, learnings you can get from studying effective game design um, that, that plug into and operate on top of any existing kind of practices you have. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. What are the pitfalls or limitations that we should be aware of? Um, there are several, and, and as I said, it's it's extremely important to recognize that there are pitfalls and limitations. Uh, basically, there's a set of them that involve gamification not being effective enough, um, and um, many of these fall under the rubric of what's called pointsification, which is a term that was was uh, developed by a critic of gamification. The idea is if you think that this is all about just giving people points, if you think that the 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 what we take from games is they keep score and they give you awards and you have levels and that's what makes games fun and that's all you do, you're probably going to fail. Um, the points may motivate people for a while, but ultimately people say, why am I doing this? Why do I care about these points? Um, so um, one danger is um, thinking that you can just overlay these game techniques without focusing again on, on how they actually relate to things that motivate people. Um, that's a danger of gamification being not effective. The other danger is that it's too effective. The other danger, again, is that you build a system that exploits people, that, that is focused on making people do things whether they really want to or not, or whether it's really in their interest or not, exploiting some people's tendency towards addiction and so forth. Um, that's a real danger. Um, and it's, and it's again, not a new danger in gamification. There are lots of exploitative systems and examples in the workplace. Um, but because this is leveraging fun, because this is leveraging people's uh, innate tendency to respond to game-like systems, uh, I think anyone involved in this uh, practice has a real responsibility to, to make sure that they are doing those in a responsible way. Yeah, you actually, in the book, you mentioned the example of that click a cow game, which was actually just intended to be a joke. And yet, it, it because it was a horribly designed game, but it, it did demonstrate that there is a segment of the population that can get addicted to games, even a poorly designed one. 
Right. No, absolutely. And I don't think that business managers should be focused on addic- focused on addicting people. Um, even if there's some short-term gain there, um, there, there's lots of real, real, real downsides to it. And and then there are a whole so- set of other issues that we get into when we start to think about ethics concerns about gamification, questions about privacy. Again, there's tremendous amounts of data that's being collected that can be really helpful, um, but there's also uh, significant risks about uh, that data being used in improper ways. Um, and, and there are various other kinds of legal and ethical domains that that are worth thinking about. And again, that, that's why I, I focus on it a lot in, in For the Win, my book, and, and also in the, the online course that I teach, getting people to think about these things. Most of them, again, are in line with concerns that you might have with other engagement techniques. It's, it's just because gamification is potentially so powerful, um, it, it really calls upon us to think about those things up front. What about competition? It seems like sometimes it's good to encourage competition, but sometimes that could have some unintended consequences. Oh, absolutely. Well, one one thing to say, first of all, is people make the mistake sometimes of thinking gamification and games are all about competition, that, that the whole point is winning. Um, and that's a very powerful motivator, but it's also a turnoff. First of all, there are some people who don't respond as much to competition. And even people who do sometimes don't all the time. You don't necessarily want to be competing in every interaction in your life. Um, And the other thing is when you set up a competitive environment, someone's going to lose. The danger is you'll build a system that will be really engaging for the one person or one group who wins and a total turnoff to everyone else. And that's not necessarily what you want either. Um, So uh, competition is something that should be used judiciously. It turns out that many effective games use competition as only one element. Um, Often they combine competition with cooperation. So if you put people on a team and have the teams compete, you're still being competitive, but the real thing that motivates people, what, when you ask people what was exciting and fun about that, it's working together with your colleagues or coworkers or friends. It's it's serving a common purpose. It's figuring things out together. Um, it's that sense of solidarity. So um, so we can do gamification that has competition uh, and, and not have that be the, the entire aspect of it. And then we can do gamification without competition at all. Uh, th- there's a whole domain of problem solving, of, of um, uh, achievement that doesn't really depend on competing against anyone else. It's really challenging yourself. That's the reward. Well, it seems like a, a thoughtful approach to gamification can certainly be a powerful engagement tool in a, in a number of different situations. Kevin Werbeck, co-author of For the Win, How Game Thinking Can Revolutionize Your Business. Thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thanks so much, Jesse. Glad to be here. And Kevin will also be joining me in episode one of a new podcast series that takes a deeper dive in exploring gamification as an engagement strategy. The name of that podcast series is Game Changer. It should be live in iTunes, Stitcher, and engagingleader.com the first week of May 2013. I'll be interviewing a variety of experts in this emerging field, and Kevin will kick things off in episode one to tell us about six steps to effective gamification. Don't miss it. Kevin's website is gamifyforthewin.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at kwerb, K-W-E-R-B. In our show notes for this episode, we'll provide Kevin's contact information and a link to his book, For the Win. And how would you like a chance to win that book? To have some fun with gamification, we're playing a game for this episode and also a bigger game for the Game Changer series, for those of you who are interested in learning more about gamification. 
First, for a chance to win Kevin's book, simply send me an email at jesse at engagingleader.com. Mention the episode number 38, this episode's clue, which is the letter U as in unicorn, and whether you'd prefer hard copy or a Kindle ebook if you win. Second, collect this clue U, plus the clues that will be provided in each of the first 14 episodes in the Game Changer series. Using those 15 clues, if you can be the first person to guess the secret phrase, you will win a $100 gift card from Amazon. And everyone who guesses it correctly will be honored on our Game Changer Genius Board. As soon as you think you know the secret phrase, just email it to me. Again, you can find Game Changer in iTunes, Stitcher, and EngagingLeader.com. If you're interested in more information about gamification, check out the Game Changer group on LinkedIn. We'll automatically direct you to that LinkedIn group if you go to EngagingLeader.com forward slash group. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.